Everybody ready to go? We've got to leave for church in a couple minutes. Yeah, just let me check my hair one more time. Alright. Hey, uh, did you get the grocery list? Yes, it's ready. It's in the car. Okay. Alright, um, animals fed. Anything else we need to do? Nope. Oh wait, did you get my coffee? Ah. Now we're ready. Before we come to church in the morning, we try to make sure that everything is ready. We check our hair, we make sure that we have all the things that we need, we make sure that you know, all our buttons are buttoned and the buttons go in the right holes. We try to get here on time, try to get here on time, and we try to make sure that we have everything in order. Anyone notice anything about the video that we just saw? They forgot the Bible. Now, if you forget the Bible, not a big deal, because we've got plenty of them back in the office, and there's plenty for them for you to borrow. But are we forgetting what's in the Bible, what it tells us to do to get ready for Sunday? And that's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you ready for Sunday? And to know if we're ready, the first thing we have to know is, why are we here? So I want to ask you, why are you here? Think about it. Why do you get up every Sunday morning and come to church? There are a lot of good answers. And there are a lot of easy answers, which we think are good answers, but aren't necessarily. Is it to see the people? Say, well, we need to have fellowship. Is that why we're here, just to come and see people? or to sing songs that you like. I know that I've had people come in and say, oh, I really like the songs that you sing here. It's great. To hear the preaching. No, okay. <clears throat> or how about this one? Because it's the right thing to do. Because I've always gone to church on Sunday morning. Because growing up, my mom said that I needed to go to church on Sunday morning. They're all good answers. But are they the best answer? To really know why you should be here and why we should come to church on Sunday, let's think about why the church is here. Why is the church here? Again, is it just to provide a building for a place for us to come in fellowship? Or is it a place where we can come and give our prayer requests? And that's a big part of our service here, is our prayer request. We come and we say, this person needs prayer, that person needs prayer, or I need prayer for this reason or for that reason. Is it some place with that just good, old-fashioned music? The kind that you can't hear anyplace else. Or is it a place to have weddings and funerals? We had a funeral here yesterday, and yesterday afternoon, it was a very important thing for this church to be able to have a funeral here. And as we mentioned earlier, that's a great opportunity for the church. There are a lot of people here that aren't believers. And Jim came up and gave a great message about what it means to be a Christian and the importance of heaven. That's a big part of the church, but is it the main purpose of the church? Those things all happen in the church, but they're not the reason for the church, either the church building or the church us. God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. 
for the same reason that he commanded Solomon to build the temple. Both of those things were vehicles, places, opportunities for God to meet with his people, for God and his people to come together, to be in one another's presence. Now, that was a long time ago, and things have changed since then. In the New Testament, God sent Jesus, his son, to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And at the same time, when he came to do that, he destroyed the temple. Now, he said, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. And we know that that didn't physically happen. But something did happen. Because when Jesus died on the cross, there was a, a veil in the temple. And this was the place God is behind this veil and the normal people have to stay on this side of the veil. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil got ripped in half. Right down the middle. That was a way of saying, we don't have to go behind this veil to find God anymore. And we read later on that now God lives inside of us if we're Christians. It's the gift that God gives us. He's going to come and live inside of us. We don't just get to meet him on Sundays. We don't have to go to a certain building or a certain tent in order to meet him. He's right there. He's right there with us. Also, the tabernacle and the temple were built to worship God. The people would come there to meet with God and to worship him, to tell him why they loved him so much, why it was important for them to come there, and why they loved him. Now, do we have to come to church to worship God? Not at all. In fact, the way that I see worship, Sunday should just be like the very, very first step of that. Because worship is singing. That's part of it. But that's just the easy, simple part that anybody can do. Real worship is, is much bigger than that, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But worshiping happens here, and it happens when we leave here. And that's still not really the main reason why we're here. Let's look at, at what worship is. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. Sometimes we worship God on a physical level. Sometimes we come and we, our mouths move when we sing along with the words. And we're just kind of going along through, worshiping God. Paul's writing to the Romans here. He says, I want to talk to you about spiritual worship. Not just the things you say, or the things you do, or the words you sing, but spiritual worship. And that means offering your bodies as living sacrifices. So what are we supposed to do to worship if we're supposed to be living sacrifices? God wants us to offer our very selves as sacrifices. Our very selves, 
everything about us. So what does this mean? If I'm going to sacrifice myself, that means I have to give myself up. I have to deny myself, deny the things that I want, the things that I like, the things that are comfortable for me. If I'm going to sacrifice myself, I'm not going to think about myself. I'm going to think about other people. And that means that sometimes I have to learn that it's not about me. And it's not about you. There was a preacher who went out bear hunting. It's my kind of preacher. You don't think a preacher's out bear hunting sometimes, and I think that's unfortunate, because bear hunting is the kind of thing that a preacher should do. Preacher went out bear hunting, wasn't having much luck. He was kind of walking around through the woods. He had his gun ready, and he was just looking. Finally, finally, he sees a bear. He picks the gun up, takes aim, gets it all in his, gets it lined up nice. He's lined up dead on. He pulls the trigger. Click. Uh-oh. Checks the gun. The bullets are in there, but click, click, click. It's not working. Something's messed up with the gun. Now, he's got a problem. Because not only does his gun not work, but now the bear hurt him. And then the bear smelled him. So the preacher sees that the bear's got his head up, and he's sniffing. And you can see, he turns his head. He's focused on the preacher, and the bear starts coming. So the preacher starts running. He runs and finds a tree, and he climbs up the tree, thinking, well, if I get up off the ground, the bear won't be able to see me. Too late. The bear was locked in. Next thing you know, the bear is at the bottom of the tree. The preacher's up in the tree, and he says, what do I do now? This bear is down here at the bottom of the tree. He said, well, I know what I need to do. I tell my people this every Sunday. I need to pray. So he closes his eyes and bows his head. He doesn't get on his knees because, well, he's up in a tree. And he says, dear God, please make this bear a Christian bear, a bear who will recognize that I'm a good man and won't kill me. Just please make him a Christian bear. He opens his eyes, kind of gives God one of those, please help me out with this, and looks down. And he sees the bear down there. Still looking hungry. But all of a sudden, the bear stops. The preacher starts to perk up, and he says, This is good. The bear stopped. God's listening. And the bear gets down on his knees and raises his hand and says, Dear Lord, thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. <laughs> the preacher was thinking about himself. He said, Let this bear be a Christian, because he was worried about himself getting eaten. But God was worried about the bear. This is his Christian bear that God's taking care of. He knows that the bear's got to eat. <laughs> Sometimes our focus is all on ourselves. And we miss out focusing on other people. The church isn't designed to make me happy. We don't do everything the way that I want to. And I'm saying this completely honestly. There are some songs that we sing on a regular basis here that I don't like. I'm sorry, Jim. That's just the way that it is. <laughs> there are some songs here that I don't like. They're just not necessarily the kind of songs that I like to sing. 
But I'm glad that we sing them. I am glad that we sing them because there are other people here that do like them. And I care more about those people who like those songs than I do about me singing songs that I like. I don't let that bother me or upset me. When I make the bulletins up every week, I don't say, oh man, Jim picked this song again. Instead, I think about the people here who like that song, who like, who I've seen them, the smile on their faces when they're singing it. Because that's what's important. Not me, but other people. And I've had the time to learn that not everyone's going to like the same kind of music that I like. Psalm 150 describes praising God. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. And this is the tough part right here. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If I were to make a list of my favorite musical instruments, the trumpet, the lyre, and the harp wouldn't be on that list. Yet here it looks like they're in God's top three. There's a really good chance that God is going to like some music that we don't like. Does that mean I don't want to go to heaven because there's going to be music up there that I don't like? Or what about this one? The tambourine and with dancing. Now, I've been in church services where there's dancing. And to be completely honest, not really my thing. I go to a school where dancing is forbidden. I don't know if that's my thing either. But I don't feel myself worshiping God through dancing. But if there's a group of people and they're dancing to worship God and I'm a part of that group, you better believe I'm going to dance. It says right here in Psalm 150, that we praise God by dancing. And if they're playing harp music, I'll be right there with the harp music. Because it's not about me. So what do we do about that? When it's time to sing and that's that song that you're just like, this song? Or what if you don't like to sing? But it's time to sing. It's time to praise God. What do we do? Say, oh, don't like this song. I'm not singing it. Nope, nope, nope. I'll wait for the next one. Or I'll just wait until the singing's over, and then I'll start to pay attention again. This is my time to take a break. That's not what we're called to do. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. There's no parentheses in there that says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord when it's a song they like, or in some other way than singing, because we understand not everyone likes singing. 
not the case at all. If you don't want to sing this song, or if you don't want to sing in general, tough. Do it anyway. And do it with all your heart, because that's what God wants. It's not about you. So if it's not about you, who's it about? It is about him. If we go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. If we want to worship God, we have to do things to make us pleasing to God. Now, if you go through and look for pleasing to God in the Bible, you're going to find a whole bunch of things. There's lots of things that tell us how to please God and how not to please God. So I'm going to go through a couple of those, but I'm going to try to go through them really quick. And I'm not going to put them all up here because I didn't want to type that much. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Short, sweet, and to the point. Those, who, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5 gives us a little bit better description. It says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. How do we please God? By not sinning. By not being controlled by the sinful nature of our lives. By not doing the things that, that we just want to do because it feels good. But instead, doing the things that God wants us to do. So what are some of those things? Colossians 1, verse 10. And we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He wants us to bear fruit. What does that mean? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those fruits. But also, he wants us to bear fruit for his harvest. Which is going to lead us into our next point, but not quite yet. Also, he wants us to grow in the knowledge of God. This makes him happy. When we go out and try to learn about God and get to know him better, it pleases him. That makes him happy. It might not be something that we like to do. Reading and studying and paying attention when people are preaching. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Have faith in God. Earnestly seek him. Jump down two chapters in Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Do good and share with others. It doesn't get much more simple and basic than that. Easy things that all of us can do, it says right here. That's the kind of stuff that pleases God. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be focused on while we're here and during the rest of the week. And this one I like. This one's a little bit longer. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 20 through 25. It says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. I'm going to say that again. God was pleased by the foolishness of what was preached. That makes me feel a little better because I know I say some foolish things sometimes. To save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God likes people who preach the gospel. He likes hearing his foolishness preached. And that's not saying that God is foolish, just that when the outside world looks at it, they see it as foolishness. So if I stand up here and say what other people would say was foolishness, I know that God's got a smile on his face, and that makes me feel good. But you say, what do you have to do with that? That's great for you, George. You get to stand up there and preach foolishness, but meanwhile, I'm down here sitting in my chair listening to your foolishness. Every time Paul wrote a letter, every time Paul wrote a letter, he asked for help. Because he knew that even though Paul was a great preacher of the gospel, he was fearless, he was bold, he was courageous. He stood up there in front of all kinds of people, unbelievers, people who were out to get him. And he preached the gospel. But he knew he couldn't do it by himself. Every letter that he writes, he says, pray for me. And here's the thing. Each person sitting in here this morning has a responsibility a responsibility to pray for whoever's going to be preaching up here on Sunday. All through the week, I usually start sometime on Monday or Tuesday, and I start looking through the scriptures and putting a le- uh, an outline together. And then the rest of the week, I think about different things that happened in my life or things that I see in the news or things that have gone on that kind of help to illustrate that outline. And then sometime, usually Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, I, I put all that stuff together. And a lot of times I wind up changing everything and starting over. But still, the whole week, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say up here on Sunday. And I need each one of you to be praying all week for me. And say, God, you got to help George out. Because if he tries to do it by himself, man, mm-mm. I don't want to listen to him babble on. I want to hear your word. So I'm asking you to pray for me. Pray for me that I'm going to communicate God's word to you in the best way possible. I want to tell you a secret. Next week, Jim is preaching a sermon called, Are You Ready? He's going to talk about, Are You Ready for Eternity? Are you ready for what's going to come after this? He needs you to pray for him this week. Not just to say, yeah, that sounds good. I'll pray for him. What time's lunch? I'm serious. 
He needs you to pray for him every day this week, specifically for that message he's going to preach on Sunday. Because you know what? That message is the gospel, like what Paul writes about here. It pleases God to hear Jim preach that. It pleases God to have you hear that and understand that and learn from that. So I'm asking you this morning to do your part for next Sunday service. We're talking about this week, are you ready for Sunday? Are your hearts in the right place? Are you preparing beforehand for what's going to happen? And part of that is praying. It pleases God not only when his gospel is preached, not only when his people hear it, but it also pleases him when unbelievers are converted. And that's our last point this morning. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about God. And it is about them. It's about the people that aren't here this morning. We're going to talk about this more in a couple weeks. But in Luke 19.10, Jesus tells us why he came. He spells it out. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Break it down to the brass tacks and that's it. That's why Jesus came. To save lost people. Lost people matter to God. Matter enough for him to send his son to die on the cross for him. So they better matter to us. God lives in us. We can meet him anywhere. We can worship him anywhere. Lost people, God doesn't live in them. Somebody's got to bring God to them. And that somebody is us. They can't just find him on their own. They're not just going to trip and fall one day and be like, whoa, God. It's not going to happen. They need us. And God needs us. Jim's preaching an evangelistic sermon next Sunday. One of those sermons that if there's people here who don't believe, they're going to have a whole lot to think about. If you want to be ready for next Sunday, what are you doing to get somebody here who doesn't believe? Get somebody here who really desperately, earnestly needs that message that Jim's going to preach. And there's a lot of things that we need to do to make getting that message easier. Luke chapter 15 has been called the lost chapter. And if you turned over there, you'd see it starts off with the parable of the lost sheep. Then it has the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. There's something interesting in that chapter. Parable of the lost sheep. It says if there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one, he's going to leave that 99 and go after that one. There's a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. She's going to tear the house apart looking for that one. It's nice to be that one, isn't it? To know that you've got people looking for you, people coming after you. But sometimes we're one of the 99. 
Sometimes we're one of the nine. It's not always about you. But here's the thing. Those 99 sheep could make things a lot easier for the shepherd. Whenever I heard the story, I always thought, looking at it, all right, the shepherd goes out looking for this one sheep. Who's watching the other 99? Aren't they all just going to go away and he's going to come back and have none? That's because I wasn't thinking of myself as one of those 99 sheep. The 99 sheep in this story have a responsibility too. They've got to stay put. We've got a responsibility as well on Sunday mornings for that lost one. You know that the first time someone visits a church, they make a decision in the first seven to 12 minutes, seven to 12 minutes, whether or not they're ever gonna come back. What happens in those first seven to 12 minutes when someone comes to church? Think about it. They don't hear any preaching may or may not hear singing, depending on when they get here. What are they going to do? First of all, they're going to look for some place to park. And I have been, I've been here, and I've been other places where somebody pulls in looking for a place to park, they don't see one, and they don't pull out and park next door. They pull out and keep going. Are we welcoming people who are coming? Are we making sure there's a place for them to park? Or are we saying, well, I need a place to park. So the next thing they're going to do is they're going to look for a seat. And I'll tell you which seats they're going to look for. They're going to look for the ones in the back row and the ones on the aisles. And when they come in and they don't see a seat that they say, hmm, I'll sit there. It sounds good. Then the next week, they're going to get up on Sunday morning and say, mm, I don't want to have to crawl over somebody to get to a seat again. I don't want to have to get down into the middle. You say, wait a minute. You're right, George. It is hard to get to the middle. Why should I have to crawl over a bunch of empty seats and get to the middle? It's not about you. It's about them. When people come in in the first 7 to 12 minutes, they want to see if we're excited about what's going on. Are we excited about what's happening at the church here? Are we excited about what God's doing? Or do we come in and go, mm, another Sunday. It comes back to the singing. How are we singing? Because they're going to see that. They're going to look around and see how we're singing. Are people excited? Are people enthusiastic? Or are people standing there going, George Barna did a study and overwhelmingly found out that most people who decide whether or not they like a given church's worship doesn't have anything to do with what kind of songs they sing. Nothing to do with it. Doesn't matter if they're fast songs, doesn't matter if they're slow songs, doesn't matter if they're old songs, doesn't matter if they're new songs. What matters is how the people sing them. Are they energetic? Are they enthusiastic? Are the people having a good time? That's what people want to be a part of. That's what people want to be a part of. 
Now, before you go and say, well, if these people really wanted to be in church, if they really wanted to come, they would sit in the middle or they would park out on the street. They don't really want to be in church. They don't have a reason to really be in church yet. You have a reason to be in church. You know what God can do. You've seen God in your life. They haven't. It's our job to show them. And it's our job to get every little obstacle out of the way that could keep them from finding that out. That's our job. If you want to be ready for church on Sunday, we have to recognize it's not about me. It is about him. And it is about them. That's what it all boils down to. It's about him and it's about them. They came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick him up. And instead we get my favorite part of the whole Bible. I have a lot of favorite parts of the whole Bible. They come to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing? And he said, I'm going to give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It is about him. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is about them. If we want our hearts to be ready for church on Sunday and for next Sunday, what are we doing for God? What are we doing for other people? Especially, what are we doing for those lost people? Are we bringing them in here? Are we doing those little things that we don't think about that tend to push them away? Jim's going to come and sing our closing song. And let's, let's just do a little practice for what we're going to do next week. All right, what do we say about singing? Doesn't matter what song you sing, it matters how you sing it. We're gonna sing Are You Washed in the Blood. It's a great song. It's one of those songs that I think pleases God because it tells his gospel story. It lays it out there. And it's asking a question, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? It's also one of those songs that I like, so. <laughs> so I wanna see smiling faces I want to hear people singing with enthusiasm. And this morning, if you struggle with this, if you say, Brother George, I, I just don't get what you're talking about. To me, that doesn't get it. Then after the service, come and find me, and we'll talk. Or if you have another decision you want to make, if you say, I don't have that enthusiasm. I don't want to fake it anymore. Come up. Pray with me. Pray with Brother Jim. Please stand and we'll sing.